want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 21 and verse 22. <clears throat> Studying the life of Abraham, we have seen numerous seasons of conflict. We've seen uh, Abraham wrestle through personal struggles. We've seen him wrestle through struggles with Pharaoh when he lied about the true nature of his relationship with Sarah. We've seen him wrestle with Sarah and deal with conflict with Sarah because of the plan that was made with Hagar and the birth of Ishmael, uh, the son of human choice as opposed to the son of promise. Last week we saw him lie to Abimelech to protect his own life. And then we saw the struggle that he had with his own son Ishmael when he had to send him off. Why are these things recorded for us in the book of Genesis? Why are these troubling seasons of life recorded? Why are they there? And I think the, the, the simple answer would be this. It's reality. It's life. All of us in our lives go through seasons of conflict. All of us end up in seasons of strife with other people. It's, it's part of life in a fallen world. Even if you are born again by the grace of God and indwelt by the Spirit of God, you still know what it is to wrestle with seasons of struggle. These passages are recorded to help us and to teach us how to work our way by the grace of God through seasons of strife. They're recorded to show us that victory over strife is possible so that we become people not of destitution and despair, but so that we become people of hope who know that by the grace of God and by the power of God, things can change. And God can be glorified in the context of broken relationships. As you study the relationship of Abraham with Abimelech, going back into chapter 20, you understand that they got off to a bad start. Abraham lied about the nature of his relationship with Sarah again, put Abimelech, the king of Gerar, at risk. The king of Gerar has to confront Abimelech and challenge him about his sin, and call him back to a place of obedience and righteousness. It, it, it's just the nature of these relationships. We see these things, and we ask ourselves, how do we make a difference? How do we deal with the issue of strife, with the problem of struggles and conflict in relationships? I can tell you this, there's no vaccine for avoiding conflict. There's not a shot that you can get that will make it certain that you never face conflict in your life. No, all of us will. And I believe that this passage of Scripture is recorded to challenge us to be people of peace. To be people who pursue peace, who according to Psalm 37, love peace. And make it the aim of their life as far as it depends on them, to be at peace with all men so that we can demonstrate God's love and grace to others. All of us have encountered injuries. All of us have enemies. All of us have people who have offended us and hurt us and injured us. Some intentionally, some unintentionally. Some close, some people that are far away. We all wrestle with this issue. I think the question I would like you to, to ask yourself this morning is this. Do I, in a world that has conflict, that has strife, am I a lover of peace? Okay, am I passionate about having peace in my relationships? Is it something that I pursue and desire? Am I a peacemaker in my relationships or am I a peace breaker? 
The theme of the text is learning to overcome conflict so that we can maintain peaceful, God-honoring relationships. My summary statement this morning is this. Believers must pursue peaceful relationships. Okay, we above all people should be people who are pursuing peaceful relationships. Why don't you ask yourself this question this morning. What is it that causes a lack of peace and prolongs conflict in our lives? I just want you to ask yourself this very honestly this morning. Can you identify an area of strife, tension, or conflict in your life? Can I just ask you to think about that? Is there a relationship, a set of relationships, where you are experiencing tension? And where it perhaps has been prolonged seasons of conflict. What causes that? I just want to give you a quick survey. One emerges from the text and the other two are just general observations that I would like to make. What causes this lack of peace? What prolongs conflict? I think the first answer is found in in, in Genesis 20 and verses 8 and following. Where Abraham ends up in a conflict with Abimelech. It is resolved, and it is truly resolved. And the way that we know it is truly resolved is that when Abraham and Abimelech encounter one another later in their relationship, which is what we're going to see in chapter 21, guess what? They're able to strike a peace treaty to come up with a covenant between each other to live at peace. Why? And I think the first answer is this. Abimelech was unwilling to leave hostility unresolved in his life. He didn't harbor unresolved hostility towards Abraham because of Abraham's failure to be truthful with him. Abraham's lie is revealed by Abimelech. It's confronted. And then chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 tell us Abimelech's heart towards the man who had deceived him. It says, Then Abimelech brought sheep, and cattle, and male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said to him, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. That, to me, that is, that's a pagan king, folks. Okay? Who's saying, I am going to be in my relationship with you open-handed. Meaning what? Meaning Abimelech was unwilling to harbor unresolved hostility in his heart, to hold a place in his heart where he would be against Abraham. And I think all of us know from our experience, hostilities have various causes, but they have the same results when harbored. Okay, when I harbor hostility in my heart, I will, I will have a deep-seated dislike, hatred, and resentment of others. Often thinking that I can contain it to this particular difficult relationship. But what I find is that it tends to leak into other areas of my life and experience. Hostilities also have something in common. And that is there is an unwillingness to let go. An unwillingness to forgive. An unwillingness to seek resolution and restoration. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs received. Okay, folks, here's what I can tell you. If you harbor and protect hostility in your life towards others, 
okay, you will not experience peace in your life. Okay, to harbor hostility internally and expect peace externally. Okay, it's foolish on our part. So God, I think, first would say to us, I'm going to have prolonged conflict in my life if I leave hostilities in my life unresolved. We often joke around at various ages in life about memory. Okay? Uh, Most of us value a good memory. Right? But a good memory in this context is a bad thing. Okay? We have to learn to let go of things. Abimelech did that with Abraham. He, he welcomed him back and in a very beautiful way killed any opportunity for bitterness in his life. Even if I can't forget the injury, I am asked to forgive the person. The thought may bang around in my mind at times, but I'm asked to forgive the person, let them off the hook, not hold judgment against them. Unresolved hostility will create conflict in your life something else that causes hostility in the lives of believers is that we coddle or cherish a wounded spirit okay we we coddle or protect a wounded spirit we we don't want people to go into that part of our life what happens what happens is those wounds that i've experienced over time that are unresolved okay will over time harden my heart They will make me increasingly insensitive to the needs of others and to the voice of God. Okay, so it's it's dangerous for us to harbor these kinds of things, to rehearse broken promises. It causes us to become cynical about life, about people, and about the possibility of peace. We think that what God has called us to is impossible because we're we're coddling that, that wounded spirit Because of broken promises. Proverbs 18 verse 14 says this. The heart, the human spirit, can bear a sick body. Meaning, people make it through seasons of difficulty and struggle physically. Right? You probably probably know a lot of people who have put up with pain that you would look and say, if that was me, I don't think I could have handled that. Okay? So, the human spirit can endure a sick body but a crushed spirit, the, psalm, the, the proverb writer says, who can bear? Okay, who can, who can live life effectively and efficiently with a spirit that is literally crushed and destroyed? Okay, life will at times crush you, but you must know what it is to flee to God for healing, to seek peace in the midst of that sense of brokenness. A crushed or wounded spirit who can bear. I hear in that proverb a warning not to coddle bitterness. Not to hang on to offenses. Can I ask you to take this simple set of tests this morning to see if you or I am nurturing a wounded spirit? And I do this to help you. Not to awaken painful thoughts. I do this to help you because if I am harboring a broken, crushed spirit, okay, it is going to bring destruction into my life and kill the possibility of peace and end up living with tension. Ask yourself these simple questions. Am I easily set off 
by minor offenses? Am I touchy? Is my temper quick in response to perceived rejection? Do I go over the top easily? Do I resist attempts to resolve or solve the problem? Do I tend to attack the person that seeks reconciliation? The one who's seeking to see things made right? Do I blame others for my issues, slip into a mindset of self-pity and being a victim, saying things like, well, everybody's against me? Okay, which is just an out and a means by which we often are seeking to justify bitterness and wounds in the heart. Do I blame others for my issues? Do I constantly compare my circumstances to others? James 3.16 gives you this warning. It says, where you have bitter envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Because that, that, that one flashes with caution. Okay? <clears throat> if in my heart I have bitter envy and selfish ambition because of wounds that have come in my life, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Okay, what is that saying? That's saying any form of sin is possible in my life if I harbor bitterness and a crushed or broken spirit. And I'm unwilling to resolve it and see it taken care of, see it appropriately put under the blood of Christ. The proverb writer is saying, no one can bear this. If you hold on to it, it will crush you and it will destroy you. Okay, and the warning of this text is something like this. It is dangerous to live with unresolved conflict in our lives. The third thing that causes us to lack peace and that causes conflict to be prolonged is this very simple thought. I will prolong conflict when I demand my way and my rights. Okay, if I, if I harbor a selfish attitude and a selfish spirit, here's what's going to happen. My relationships will always be conflict in their orientation. They will be conflicted. Okay, pressure, struggle, strife will be normative in my life if I allow selfishness to drive my life. James 4 verse 1 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And that's, that's a good question. Sometimes we need to step back and say, okay, where is this coming from? Why is it that as I look around my life, conflict and strife is normative? Here's what James says. And this is, this is not an easy analysis for us to take. We don't look at this and say, I'm so glad to be hearing this. James says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't that where the conflict comes from? Okay, when I go in the pantry and I'm looking for chocolate-covered graham crackers, okay, and they're gone, my first response isn't, I'm so glad somebody else got to enjoy that. My first response is, who would dare? Okay, what? We, that, that selfish, that, I don't want somebody else to enjoy that when I could have. But you can work that into other areas of your life. You can work that out into all kinds of circumstances in your life. Where people are in your way, the line's long. Right, all kinds of things like that. And James says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from you? 
What does he say? Look in the mirror first. When you're wrestling with conflict and you realize that your life is becoming characterized by strife and pressure and tension and you're wondering why, what does James say? James says, don't do what most of us normally do. What do most of us normally do? We normally point to our mate or to our children. We are very quick and capable in this regard of always finding the cause of strife in the other person. And we put up a barrier that, that, that ensures that strife will exist on both sides of that wall. You know what God wants us to do? God wants us to tear down that kind of wall that perpetuates strife and tension and brokenness in Christian homes, in Christian churches, amongst Christians in their workplaces. God wants us to get over demanding our own rights, demanding our own way. It's fascinating to me that all of us who have raised children know that it is easy to see this stuff in our kids and to be upset and agitated by how they're acting and to go and correct it and then to tolerate the same thing in our own lives. It's it's stunning how quickly we can see what's wrong with our children, but when we look in the mirror, we don't see anything wrong. Okay, and James is saying, if, or, or the writer of Genesis, I think, ultimately saying in this text, if we're going to experience peace, we get to get over this kind of stuff. We get to get over past history that strikes out and leaves unresolved hostilities. We get to stop coddling a wounded spirit, thinking we're the only one. We're a victim. Now, you know what? I may be a victim, but I am also a Christian. And I am also a sinner who needs the grace of God. Okay, so as we work through strife, We need to start to take ownership. We need to admit that we're resisting opportunities and and attempts on the part of others to resolve those things. James says this. He says, don't your seasons of conflict come from desires that battle within you. You want something. You don't get it. You kill and covet. You quarrel and fight. Folks, I'm fairly convinced of this. I think most most uh, cases where there is, is 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 a situation of something as horrible as murder, I typically think that if that grew out of a conflict of some kind, that it probably wasn't the starting point. It was probably the ending point of unresolved conflict, of buried hostilities, of maintaining a wounded spirit. Who can bear it without it seeping into their life? That's the idea. And so the writers of the New Testament talk about killing the root of bitterness. Why? Because roots of bitterness will grow up, and what do they do? They destroy everything good around them. Okay, so what is, what is the writer of Scripture? God says to us, he says, take that root of bitterness and sever it. It takes radical action to destroy roots of bitterness. And if I don't destroy them, I need to realize that I, I am playing the odds that I can tolerate that negative spirit that promotes strife without it affecting seriously my life. Okay? You're fighting against God if that's the tack you're taking in your life. Okay? And I just, I, I, I say this to you so much strongly because I think it is very important that we identify the causes. Just ask, take those tests. Ask yourself, is hostility present? Is there unresolved conflict in my life? And if there is, what steps can and should I take to be a peacemaker? 
that turns us to verse 22 of Genesis 21. Here's what the scriptures say. It says, at that time, Abimelech and Fickle, I think Fickle is the guy that couldn't make up his mind, pretty sure. Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, okay, this is after the birth of the son, Abraham is living in this new area. They come to him and say, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me, that is, let's make an oath or a treaty. Okay, that's the idea. Let's make a, a covenant, a contract, or an arrangement. Swear to me before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Now, this is interesting. Okay? Because if you say, okay, what, what, what do we need to do in order to pursue peace? Okay, I think the first thing is this. All right? Believers should seek peace in their relationships. Okay, here's the relationship. You have Abimelech the king, you have Abraham, the resident alien living in his country. That man comes to Abraham and offers terms of peace. Okay, and what should a Christian do when someone comes seeking peace? We should, the Bible says, pursue it. As long as in pursuing it I am not violating any moral command of God, I should be known as a person who is inclined towards and who desires peace. Okay, we should seek peace in our relationships. Why does, why does Abimelech bring up this list of conditions? Okay, why does he say in verse 23, swear to me that you will not deal falsely with me? Why does Abimelech say that? Go back to chapter 20. Abraham lied about the status of his marriage and put the king and his entire family at risk. So what is Abimelech saying? He's saying, promise me, you won't do that again. And you know what Abraham's response is? You've got to love this. He says, now swear to me here before God that you won't deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to, show to me and my country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear to it. Okay, well, what's that mean? Okay, Abraham says, assign the contract. Okay, I am committing myself to seeking peace in my relationship with you. Okay, so the first thing a believer does is they seek peace in their relationships. The believer embraces opportunities for peace. Secondly, verse 25. It says, then Abraham, this is fascinating. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Okay, now this is fascinating. If you're going to have peace, okay, and you're going to have good, transparent relationships, what must be present? Okay, in this context, truth must be present. Okay, what, what, what's happening? Abimelech comes, he asks for terms of peace. Abraham says, I swear to it. In the back of his mind, this issue floats up. And he's willing to float this issue in spite of the fact that it may ruffle some feathers. Okay? So there's a willingness to seek peace, but there's also a willingness to seek to restore peace when it has been broken by sinful behavior. Okay? And so what does Abraham do? He doesn't hide this issue that's bothering him. 
No, if we're going to have a peace treaty and it's going to be transparent and it's going to have staying power, what has to happen? There has to be honesty and truth in the relationship. So I just as you look at this, how do we restore peace? How do we seek peace and, and, and bring it to pass when it has been broken like this? And I think a couple of thoughts come up. Number one is, I think it's courageous on the part of Abraham to bring this issue up in such a powerful moment. He just has had a pagan king come to him. He's seeking terms of peace. Abraham says, I swear to it, but he won't let this hidden issue go. Okay, he wants to be sure that it is dealt with appropriately. Folks, a lot of times what happens? We tend to bury problems. Buried problems don't go away. Okay, they're just out of sight. Okay, Abraham doesn't want to strike a treaty, a covenant with this king, unless all the cards are on the table. And so Abraham expresses first a sense of courage. It's not easy. Can I just say this about resolving conflict? It's never easy for us to resolve conflict. Why? Because a lot of times we're thinking about a situation, uh, a season of struggle, an issue that's a problem, a source of tension. And sometimes we're afraid to address it. Why? Because we don't know how the person is going to respond when we address the problem. Okay, Abraham may have been afraid of how Abimelech was going to respond, but he still put the issue on the table. And I think we can be fairly certain that he had no guarantee of how Abimelech would respond to this. But Abraham, just and, and, and you get no sense that it's, it's ramped up, there's a lot of tension in it. He brings up the issue, that is the cause of a problem, and he puts it on the table. In this case, I think obedience on the part of Abraham is key. Can I ask you this question this morning? Is there someone you need to talk to? Is there someone that you need to go to and put the issue on the table so that there can be true peace? Not, not a tenuous peace because there's issues that are hidden, but a true peace because the real issues have been put on the table so that God can be honored. I think it's interesting that Jesus took the initiative to heal the broken relationship with us. And what happens is that we as Christians are often unwilling to take the initiative, okay, and to seek peace with others. I think there's also in this courage uh, the idea of honesty on the part of Abraham. It's an open discussion. There is truth speaking. He's not burying or minimizing the problem. Injustice must be revealed. And in this setting, what does Abraham do? Abraham says, yes, I swear to this treaty. Then he complained to Abimelech about the well of water, verse 25, that Abimelech's servants have seized. Okay, so there's honesty. Here's what Proverbs 24 says. It says, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Okay, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Okay, what, what's it? sometimes we're fudging, we're dancing around things that are saying the truth and leaving the results with God. Something else that emerges in verse 26 is amazing. And just let's listen to this. But Abimelech said, I didn't know who has done this. You didn't tell me. And I heard about it only today. You know what that tells me? It tells me when you're going to resolve and seek to, to bring out and to resolve a perceived conflict, you should be characterized by an attitude of humility 
Because the assumption in this context on Abraham's part is probably what? Abimelech probably knows about this and hasn't done anything to resolve it. So when you go to someone, don't be proud and condemning. Be humble and conciliatory in your approach until the issues are clear. Okay? Abraham comes, he lays it on the table. Abimelech says, Abraham, honestly, I had no idea about that. Okay? So it's just that as you go and work through issues with people that are very complicated, seek to bring resolution in the context of marriage or parenting, whatever it is, have an attitude of humility. Because you may not have all the facts that are necessary to render an adequate or accurate judgment in that situation. So go slow, be humble. And I think this is kind of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7 when he talks about the speck in the log. Okay, do some self-examination first before you go to someone else to tell them about their problem. Okay, when you're harboring a wounded spirit, bitterness, those kinds of things, guess what? You become totally oblivious to your own issues. And bitterness drives the dialogue of your life. And the result is when you try to resolve conflict, you end up creating more conflict. Okay, Abraham is coming, I believe, from what I sense here, with somewhat of a, of, a, of a humble attitude. He's owned his own sin in the past. And every time we are seeking to resolve a conflict, we are always a sinner approaching another sinner. Verse 27. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty, that is a, a peace covenant Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So in the process of pursuing peace, what is Abraham doing? Okay, Abraham is encountering a personal cost in order to establish peace. He's giving a goodwill gesture. Okay, to ensure and to bind this if you will, sense of peace. He was kind and quick to forgive Abimelech. And I think back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Okay? Abimelech puts on it and says, I didn't know about it. Obviously, there's some type of restoration and restitution that takes place. And Abraham comes offering a gift to the man whose people had offended him. Folks, what is that? That's a gracious spirit. That's Abraham reaching out to ensure that this covenant is established in a powerful and secure way. Now, what do we learn from this? Thought that believers should restore peace when it is broken. Okay, I think one thing we learn is this, as I read through this text. Disputes can and should be resolved peacefully. Okay, it, folks, listen, it's actually possible to have a problem with someone and to go to them directly following a biblical model and find a resolution to the problem. And in this case, to me, it's fascinating that Abimelech comes to Abraham, asks for peace. Abraham says, sure, and by the way, we have this issue. We need to work through it. Okay, and actually, when you think about it, in light of some of the strong senses of conflict that we've seen thus far, this is a beautiful picture. Okay, it's possible to resolve hostility when we approach it with a godly attitude. See, a lot of times our attitude, quite frankly, stinks. And we bring a lot of junk into the discussion that fans the flame. In this case, what happens? There's hostility, but it's resolved. Why? You have two people that want it. 
And they seek it, and they, in a very, very powerful way, find it. Peace never just happens in our lives. Okay? Somebody has to go out of their way. Somebody has to step out of their routine in life to seek after it in order for it to come about. Titus 3, 4 says, When the kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy, He saved us by the washing of His blood and the renewal of the work of the Spirit. Okay, God took the initiative in establishing peace with us. Therefore, Christians should take the initiative in establishing peace with others. That's that's what we're to be about. We're to be people that pursue peace, that long for it, that seek it, that pursue it. Jesus said to us something that's very difficult. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. He said, love your Enemies. Okay? That is not easy. Where do you find the motivation to do that? Can I suggest that if you want to see the real face of love for enemies, you need to look at the cross of Christ. The face of love for enemies is when I stand before the cross and then the voice of love for enemies is when I hear Him say, Father, forgive them. Who? The people that have brutally nailed me to a cross and who are taking my life unjustly. Them. Okay, that is powerful. If you want to see kindness, gaze on the face of the crucified Redeemer. Okay, when there's conflict, be kind and quick to forgive. Don't hold hostility. Don't harbor and nurture a crushed spirit. Gaze on the face of Christ and you will be known as a peacemaker. Not a peace wisher, not a peace hoper, but a peacemaker. Somebody who actually steps in there and desires to make a difference. All of us face conflict. Jesus said in the midst of that kind of a life, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called what? Sons and daughters of God. Folks, This is our witness to the world around us. Okay, when we have conflict and strife and a lack of peace in our relationships, we are degrading the name of God. But when we seek peace, what happens? People will say, they are the children of God. Well, how do you know? Look how they act. They act like the Savior who came through His self-sacrifice to seek peace. Believers should seek peace in their relationships. They should restore peace when the peace is broken. That's what Abraham and Abimelech are doing here. And then believers should work to maintain the peace. Peace doesn't come by mistake. In a fallen world, peace must be pursued. We need to be people that work at restoring it. That don't tolerate friction and conflict, but say, what can I do in order to see this resolved? So Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, and I believe it's verse 17, he says, in in so far as it is possible for you, be at peace with Christians. No, it's not what he says. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Folks, that is a large directive. But it is the directive that speaks volumes of the gospel to the world around us. 
Abraham makes personal sacrifices to see this peace maintained. Okay, it's why he's bringing all the sacrifices. In one sense, they look forward to the work of Christ. But they are his, his, the, the, the cost that he is personally paying to say, I am serious about maintaining the peace. It's costly to maintain peace. But it's not a cost that Jesus calls us to apart from showing us how to. Romans 5 once says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It means through his work on the cross, we have the possibility of peace. Abraham encouraged peace with Abimelech by sacrificing from his resources and giving them as a goodwill gesture to Abimelech. Why? He, what is it? He's saying, I'm serious about this. I commit myself to this. And then they named that well, verse 31, where all of this happens. It says, so that place was called Beersheba, the well of promise. What was it? It was a continual reminder to Abraham and to Abimelech that they had made a peace treaty. So Abraham, what does he do? He memorializes the relationship, puts a well there that every time he goes to it, go to the well of Beersheba, that is the well of oath. That is the place where I promised to Abimelech that I would be a man of peace. And folks, here's what God wants. God wants his church to be people of peace. He wants us to be a group of people that are characterized by, by peace in our relationship. That's what he desires. And it's why in Romans 12 he says, don't repay evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, be at peace. And folks, understand this. You can't go and force other people to give the response that you want. But the Spirit of God can guide you to give the response that He wants you to give. And you know what? Your responsibility ends at that point. Okay? If you have a conflict with someone, you go as far as you can down the road with all of the resources that you can bring like Abraham does. And if they reject it at that point, that's between them and God. What you need to know is that I followed the path that God wanted me to follow in this relationship. I have made peace possible. I tried to be a peacemaker. It's not always going to work out that way. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Okay? You can want peace, but only God can bring peace. Okay? He wants to use us as agents. The sad thing is this. Often we as Christians are part of the problem when we really should be part of the solution. Look at Abraham's life. Okay? The man of faith was often part of the problem. But as you see him maturing, coming later into his life, what do you find? You find that this guy's got a different tone. After 25 years of walking with God, guess what's happening? Abraham's changing. And here's the sad thing. We think, will I ever get over this strife? Will I ever recover from the sense of being crushed in spirit? Will I ever get past this hostility in my heart? You know what you need to do? You need to pray to God for a forgiving spirit. You need to ask the, the spirit to give you the fruit of his work, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness. Don't try to do it alone. I, some of the songs come out that we sung this morning, just, and the reading that we read, it, here's what it causes us to see. I want better things in my life, but I'm not capable of those better things in my flesh. So what do I do? I have to flee to help. I have to go to God and say, God, I need the indwelling of your spirit for me to become like Abraham. Abraham was changed by what? By being the friend of God. He walked with God and God was converting him, changing him. 
making him a man of righteousness. Folks, God can do that for you. Look, I understand this at a certain level, that some of the pain that people experience in life is so deep, it's easy to harbor it. It's easy to kind of protect the crushed spirit and with a victim kind of mindset. I want to encourage you this morning, put it under the blood of Christ. Let go of the hostility. Don't let it be the prison that destroys your joy. Okay, but you've you got to be willing sometimes to say, God, I have been cherishing this because it makes me a victim and it gets me affection from people. Do you see? And what sometimes what we've got to do is say, you know what, I need to let go of that. And I need to love and sacrifice like Christ did. I need to forgive people that didn't ask for it. That's hard. I need to forgive people that don't deserve it. That's hard, but that's what Jesus does. And it's only when we come to that kind of a point in our life that we find ourselves moving into this new realm of peace. If you say to people, do you want peace? I don't think anybody on the planet, well, maybe I can't say that. Okay, some people don't want peace. It's true politically, it's true in a lot of, true in personal lives. Here's what I guess I can say to you. If you want it, it's available. There is someone whose name is King of Kings and Prince of Peace. Meaning he, he, he rules in this area. So your marriage is not beyond repair. If you're willing to give up your hostility and to seek peace and pursue it like Abraham does, sacrificially. Not for yourself, for the glory of God. And as you pursue his glory, you will find that then all these things that you want in life, they're added to you. See, that's the power of forgiveness. That's the power of the work of God in your heart. And I just, I, let me just read these last three verses of this text. because I think it's, it, it's beautiful. After the treaty, which was the peace contract, had been made at Beersheba, the place of oath, Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his forces returned to the land of the Philistines. And look, watch what happens. This, is, this just takes on kind of this very, I'd like to be there kind of feel. It says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, which I have no idea what that is, in the place of the oath, Beersheba. There he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Okay, what's that tell you? It tells you that God is a rewarder of those that seek peace. It doesn't mean that all the conflicts in life are resolved, but it does mean this. It does mean that Abraham's life began to take on this sense of everything being okay. Where? In the land of the Philistines. In the place where enmity is present. God brought peace. You know where God wants to bring peace? He wants to bring peace in your workplace with those people that sometimes you unfortunately may say, I can't stand. God wants to bring peace in your neighborhood with people who have offended you or injured you. Young people, God wants to bring peace between you and your parents. And sometimes you have to let go of your hostility towards your parents and seek peace and pursue it. Okay, husbands and wives, God wants to bring peace. He wants to plant a tree in your life that you can sit under. It's fascinating to me because when you go to the book of Revelation, guess what's there? There's this tree that bears fruit. And it's the picture of God's provision for his people. And I see a hint of that here. 
I see it in the Garden of Eden, the tree. I see it here. I see it in Revelation. What is it? God is going to bring a sense of belonging, a place to be, a place of peace for his people. But we need to hate strife enough that we kill it by killing our own desires and become people who pursue peace, not for our personal benefit, but for the glory of God. And so as you go this morning, here's the question. Is there a conflict in your life that you need to resolve? Is there a letter you need to write? Because Abraham brought his up. Is there a phone call you need to make? Is there a tension you need to seek to resolve? Instead of saying, well, I'm just being cordial, I'm tolerating. I'm not angry, but you're not seeking peace. Seeking peace is to go and see it resolved. Is there an issue? Is there a conflict that God would have you address? Teenager with your parents, husband with your wife, wife with your husband, between siblings. Folks, do you know that this could actually happen? Do you know that young people in a household could actually go to each other and say, I've been in sin towards you? Both parents would probably fall over dead, but it's possible. By the Spirit of God, it's possible. Hey, how about showing them how to do it in your relationship with them? Because I believe this also. Kids get bitter at parents because parents have done bad things to kids. Parents need to go to their kids and say, my attitude towards you is wrong. And I want God to restore peace. Okay, it's possible. And it is beautiful and it is miraculous. It is the work of the Spirit. And it is possible primarily because of the cross of Christ. Because it is risky and it is expensive. Jesus took up a cross to bring peace. Will you, will I take up my cross to bring peace? Will I put to death my selfish ambitions and embrace God's selfless life? Will you take up the cross like Jesus did? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of reconciliation. It gives me hope, Lord. 